Well, hello, and welcome to the Well After Hours. I'm your host, Beverly Allen. The month of July is observed as National Minority Mental Health Month. And we want to continue to highlight that subject because it's one that the well has been dealing with over the last two years, because it is a critical conversation that we need to have. And it was established, uh, started actually in 2005 by two women, B.B. Moore Campbell and her dear friend, uh, Linda Wharton Boyd. And they championed the cause to break the stigma that surrounds mental health and trying to set up facilities. And now, unfortunately, B.B. Moore Campbell didn't live to see it through, but her friend continued to champion the cause and to see it until it was accepted and adopted as a national uh, awareness month, uh, particularly for minorities and black indigenous people of color. So we wanna continue to highlight that on the well and to help us do that today is our very special guest, Bishop Dr. Roland E. Harrison. Thank you, Dr. Harrison. Welcome to the well. Thank you, Evangelist. It's good to be with you this afternoon. We, we are so honored to have you here. And uh, we're going to get into our conversation, but I just want to read for the viewers some of your background. Now, your bio and write-up is extensive because of your um, rich background, but I do want to give them some of the academics uh, in your life so that they understand how qualified you are. Uh, Bishop Harrison completed his bachelor's of arts degree with a double major from Seattle Pacific University in biblical literature, which is theology and psychology in 1971. And the Lord blessed him to receive his master of education degree in educational psychology in 1973 from the University of Washington and his Doctor of Psychology degree in Clinical Family Psychology from Seattle Pacific University in 2000. Wow, you know, I, I, one of the reasons too, Bishop, why I was so excited to have you here because when I, inviting you is like having a guest panel of six persons because when you, show up, when you show up, you show up as a husband, as a father, and I see from pictures also as a grandfather, but also as a pastor and a shepherd and as an entrepreneur, because you have a private practice um, that we'll talk even more about as we go on. And so you represent so many people and particularly in the black and brown community of men, because that is seems like that's the hardest group to try to get to embrace, you know, uh, mental health uh, in their lives so that they can, uh, you know, begin to prosper and sure. cope with what's going on in the world today. Uh, so uh, nobody's better suited than you to do this because you do that. Not only are you a seasoned shepherd, you know, <laughs> uh, but, you know, also having, you know, uh, your private practice in psychology. And I, I might add, and, and my wife would never uh, let me <laughs> live it down, but um <laughs> Later this month, uh, she and I will be celebrating 54 years. Wow. 54 years. God has blessed us to be alive and well and enjoying the journey. Oh, my goodness. I tell you, I mean, and I, as the viewers got to see some of the pictures that, you know, we opened up the show with of you and your beautiful wife. I mean, you two look so great. Nobody would think you all were married for 54 years. <laughs> 
<laughs> and to have the beautiful family that you have is such a blessing. But, you know, people also look um, at you and who might have an opportunity and we're going to put up all of Bishop's, uh, you know, information, contact, social media, but they would look at all that, not that you have accomplished and achieved and think, oh, okay, well, he's had a pretty, you know, easy go of it. Life has been, you know, just, a, you know, a bed of rose petals. Um, and that's not necessarily the case because so many people and particularly, I want to say, you know, Black men are facing such trauma, traumatic uh, issues and situations in their hmm. life, you know, varied things, especially now with, with so many things in racism, you know, systemic racism and have endured it over the years. But it seems like they don't get the consideration or the benefit of the doubt that some of the things that they do, some of the reasons they were incarcerated because of some of the traumas that they faced in their neighborhoods, uh, in their homes, you know, um, and, and and it's like they're just kind of incarcerated, thrown in jail without any consideration of what may have caused or triggered that type of lifestyle. And you as a shepherd, I know you have, you reach out to all people, <laughs> regardless of what that is. Do you think that that is really something that is not considered often? Yes, uh, I believe that the uh, African-American community and people of color, uh, ind indigenous people of color, have always uh, gotten the last uh, opportunities to enjoy you know, life and, and so on, and indeed face tremendous trauma, uh, not only from maybe past military experiences, but just in their community and in their life in general, uh, with all of the the, the racism and so on that, and social injustice, you know, for that matter too, that uh, is continuing to occur in our communities. It gets highlighted every other week or so, you know, several times a month and throughout the year, we're constantly being um, exposed to the dangers of our community and our culture. Uh, which again are not serving as well. Fortunately, in many cases, we do have the covering of the church. And as people uh, come into the church, they do come under a covering. And there's some protection around that, certainly from a spiritual perspective. But God knows that so many are outside of that particular uh, protective covering of the church, and they are just exposed to so much. And I see that in my practice. Uh, the black men, and I have uh, several uh, uh, black men that I see on a regular basis that are just struggling, you know, day after day, week after week, whether with their um, uh, marriage situation, their you know, parent-child relationships, almost anything that you can possibly imagine, they are struggling with. And God, I, I just appreciate God helping me to the point that we have opened up this avenue uh, with our own spiritual background to be able to provide more or an expanded uh, perspective when it comes to help and support. So we bring a professional uh, perspective to a lot of the work that we do in the church. So it's my belief that um, spiritual, healthy, uh, excuse me, emotional, healthy spirituality is the path that we want to go down uh, anymore today so that we're actually building up and fortifying ourselves on, a, on an emotional, mental basis, and then be able to embrace spirituality from uh, that healthy perspective. 
in talking about some of the disparities, I guess you would, um, as you have just pointed out, some of the disparities that happen in our communities and how um, you're able to integrate as a pastor, you know, the spiritual part as yeah. well as the kind of, I guess, secular science part together, because there's been such a stigma, you know, around getting help. Um, you know, people think, oh, they have to wait until they're almost in a crisis mode to get help instead of realizing that, you know, it's more open now to get counseling, to get therapy, to seek help before you actually get to that stage. And uh, we've had, you know, other um, uh, conversations at the well about mental health because we really are trying to break that wall and that barrier that uh, is has been in the church, whereas, you know, we pray. Yes, we pray, but as I always say, you know, faith without works is dead. There has to be some practical application to what, you know, even the scriptures tell us to do, you know, to help us to come to a good place of mental health. Um, as a pastor over the years, has it been difficult or how have you integrated uh, those two? Just in general, mental health in the church has been polarized. Uh, historically, it's been a polarization uh, between mental health and the church. The church, many, many leaders in the church has, uh, have viewed mental health as the devil's work. Mm -hmm. That, um, you know, when you consult with others outside of the spiritual leadership that we have, uh, you're turning to the devil. And the devil is, you know, exposing you and, and don't even bring up the subject of drugs, medication and so on, um, that the church has historically took a very dim view. Of. I know back in the day, um, many of our forefathers um, did not necessarily uh, encourage our leaders to go to school, to get an education. They're, they always depended on just the move of the Holy Spirit. And God knows, I know that as well as anybody uh, about the anointing that has to accompany uh, ministry. But I realized many years ago that uh, as I struggled in my maybe first 20 years of, of uh, pastoring, there was something missing. Uh, again, with all due respect to the Bible and to spirituality and you know, <laughs> baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, all of that. But I will tell you, I was confronted with what is the problem with these individuals in the church that are filled with the Holy Spirit, but continue to struggle. So God put it in my spirit to go back to school and to gain a uh, broader view, not just uh, as you saw in my bio, uh, not just the, the um, theology aspect, but psychology as well. And to be able to blend uh, psychology and spirituality to the degree that we're able to benefit from both, maximize the utility of both uh, psychology and spirituality, because the psychology component of it, the aspect of it, goes to our mental and emotional well-being, our mental and emotional health. And that, in my opinion, is key to healthy spirituality to being able to exercise the proper uh, use of the scripture as it relates to how we grow and develop from a spiritual perspective. But I've seen and I've taught time and time again, 
take two people, one raised in an unhealthy home environment and one raised in a healthy home environment, they will come into the church from very different backgrounds and perspectives. The one without that healthiness in their past is going to struggle. The one with the healthiness in their past and the family of origin is going to be able to proceed and uh, obtain a greater uh, depth of spirituality. So we're, we're, we're indeed marrying psychology and spirituality to maximize our growth and development in the church. Let me say this as well. I know there are my colleagues who will vigorously dispute with me about that, right? But this is the thing. Many of them in their church are struggling and all they can offer is prayer and fasting as a remedy, but they are struggling and they never get out of their struggle because they're being confined to this very limited kind of resource where you turn to the Bible and you expect that if you, uh, you know, get in the Bible class and get into saints meeting and all of that. Back in the day, we used to have saints meeting. <laughs> I don't know if we have that much anymore, but that was our thing back in the day. But to be able to uh, access some really helpful uh, psychological principles and so on that will really benefit us going forward. But oftentimes, the fact that many of our leaders see themselves as all things to all people, mm -hmm. and they cannot uh, seem to bring themselves to understand that they need to stay in their lane, recognize their limitations, and when it gets beyond them, have a list of professional people that you can refer your congregants to for that kind of support they need. Because oftentimes it's really critical. That therapy session is going to be very confidential and the, the saint is going to be able to enjoy that kind of confidentiality. And sometimes that is what leaders fear, that somehow they're going to be exposed, that they're going to be made to look like they don't have the skill set, et cetera, et cetera. Just a lot of stuff that goes on. I think that, again, we need to put to rest uh, because we really do need to recognize uh, our limitations. And I think that's a boundary issue with many of us as leaders. And I know I, I, I'm there. I'm, I'm one of the colleagues. I'm one of the ones that they talk about. We're on the same level, all of that. You know, my, my bishop colleagues, et cetera. Exactly what that's all about. Uh, but still, the pews are crying for help. And we want to be able to help them to, to support them, even the, the uh, leaders to support them in what they're doing. You know, um, thinking about it now, you are the diocesan over the 17th Episcopal District of the Pentecostal Assemblies of the World, the same organization of faith that I come from, that I'm in now presently. And mm -hmm. Uh, I'm thinking of through the pandemic, how was it? And I have to say, thank you for your service. Thank you for how you helped to navigate with other health professionals as we were going through the pandemic. The issues that you addressed were so helpful and so beneficial for many of us who may have been on the fence and who were, you know, really tiptoeing our way through. And uh, you provided such a, a resource of information and help in even combining our faith, you know, uh, actually how to make our faith even work stronger by helping us Absolutely. to understand so many things. And I was wondering how did, I'm sure there were a lot of pastors 
that also were going through and having a tough time as well. And how they may have, if some of them had the courage or either were maybe desperate enough to find out that they really needed help, did they seek your counsel? Mm -hmm. So, yes, indeed, we, we're blessed to uh, be uh, diocesan over the 17th Episcopal Diocese uh, of the PAW, uh, the Pacific Northwest District Council. Uh, we are probably the largest geographical diocese, uh, except for maybe some of our international ones, but we comprise five states, uh, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Utah, Montana, and even into Western Canada. So quite a large diocese. We have about 15, 16 churches uh, that we preside over. And through the pandemic, um, as with all across the country, many of our churches were closed. And we developed other mediums, platforms, and so on, including Zoom and other streaming uh, services that were available. So we adapted uh, you know, around how we do church. But that is just part of the, the, the struggle. We are now somewhat post-COVID. At least we're making that claim that we're coming out on the other side of COVID. But many of the months that we spent in COVID, approximately two years, uh, there were other issues that were going on on a social basis because we were limited in what we were able to do. Many of our young people or our children struggled even in school as they uh, had to move to these social platform, uh, excuse me, these online platforms uh, and so on to do even school. Uh, uh, many parents obviously had to work from home and so they had kids at home and doing work at home and the home became you know literally everything but it shut off many of the other uh contacts we had for socialization and socialization is really critical to our health and well-being so we are now looking at what have been the impacts of covid for the past two years um come st louis when we meet for our international convention we have a presentation that my Committee on Health, Education, and Welfare, which the presider, Bishop Brooks, has been so kind and gracious to allow me to oversee. And for the last two years, four years, actually, under his administration, we have been advancing mental health issues. So in St. Louis, we will be talking about youth and what they experienced during, during COVID and coming out of COVID, and then also with their parents about their concerns and issues about COVID. Because we have not we have not now at this point gotten the data, the information on what we actually went through under COVID and the implications of all of that. So the research is not available to us again. We're just freshly out of COVID and so on. So we're trying to track what has been the impacts of COVID and so on on us from a, a youth standpoint and from a, a parental standpoint so that we can actually understand and see how we now can better serve our constituents coming out of COVID. I think the same thing is applicable here in my diocese. And, and fortunately, uh, in our case, uh, thank God, we don't have to import people, right? We have a professional right here among us, right? Our leader, how about that? <laughs> so, so we're able to advance this and 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 put uh, many of these uh, thoughts and ideas about COVID and how we manage and handle it into practice right here in our diocese. So you might say maybe 
we're striving to have the healthiest diocese in all of the PFW. Wow. Uh, from you know almost every perspective that we uh, can talk about, we meet three times a year. Uh, we have Thursday, that's leadership training day. And uh, I do most of the training on uh, that particular day. And of course, other times of ministry um, coming up in uh, July when we meet in just a couple of weeks. Um, my wife, who is working with the minister's wives, uh, they will have a presentation that will relate to how uh, husbands and wives interact with each other. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the uh, book, The Other Woman, The Church. Mm. I want to think about that uh, going forward, but that will be the subject of the discussion, how we have been remiss in times past by devoting as leaders so much of our time to the church that uh, it becomes the other woman. Mm -hmm. right? And our wife has to deal with this other woman, the church, right? And uh, oftentimes, again, he comes home and is kind of worn out and tired and, you know, exhausted. And she has to, you know, kind of patch him up and put him back together again and all of that so he can go back out. Uh, but again, just to bring balance to all of that from a mental health perspective. That is that is a, a, a great subject even in itself, because you remember somebody, as I think back and just seeing and having been a pastor's wife myself, but seeing so many uh, women who neglected even their health. Absolutely. And mentally and physically, you know, trying to help their husbands because there was no balance. And um, it, 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 it's sad to say, I mean, now, because of things being, I think COVID has helped open up the conversations to so many things. As a result of that, uh, people are taking a different look at, you know, what they've done. Because I guess, like you said, as the older saints used to think, you know, God first. Yeah, God first. But he also wanted us to put some things first, too. He didn't call us to neglect our families and our spouses. Absolutely. And, you know, and in all good conscience that we could, you know, be healthier and serve him better. <laughs> um with those things. And it must be an awful blessing, as you said, to have a leader who understands even the flock <laughs> from a mental and emotional, you know, part, as well as the spiritual part, and can actually give them so much more. Because as you said, people are in the pews and they're hurting. We've taken mm -hmm. them from conference to conference. We've taken them to through different things and they feel good while they're there. But when we have to come back home and fight the same... <laughs> struggles and go through things it's like well what are the tools we have yes we have prayer yes we have fasting but when you have to go on your job you know um and out into you know the marketplace to operate daily as you do you need something else some other you know coping skills work and many of our not just pews uh pew members anyway congregants but leaders wives i say leaders broadly speaking not just pastors but leaders' wives are struggling and probably were struggling unrecognized for many years before we began to talk about the pew and congregates in general. So we have still not been able to access uh, leaders' wives. That's a whole nother almost secretive, you know, mm. kind of group of people where they're not permitted to come forward and to really address issues uh, that are relevant and pertinent to them. 
my wife is working in that direction. Um, we have, a, of course, a national uh, ministers' wives organization, and maybe we want to support them in doing more that will reach into those, you know, crevices of the uh, leaders' wives and expose some of the needs that are there for support for them to be healthier. Uh, because again, they are oftentimes left behind. We don't want to leave anyone behind. And, you know, bringing up ministers' wives, um, what is in place or how do you deal with pastors if they don't come forward to talk about some issues, you know, even themselves that they're struggling kind of in silence? Because everybody, I guess, is there's trust issues, I understand, you know, um, with that. But how can we get, I mean, it just seems like we need to get, and it's not just pastors, it's just, you know, African-American males, period, to mm -hmm. actually reach out and realize, identify, you know what, this is becoming a problem. And I need to, you know, get some help with that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that the, the, the approach to that um, has to be very sensitive um, with regard to the sensitivities of a lot of the leaders <clears throat> who, again, are themselves very fragile, who struggle with insecurity, who struggle with low self-esteem, yet they're thrust into this leadership uh, role. And they have, they have a, a lot of, I think, erroneous notions about what that means, mm -hmm. how they show up and how they have to represent. And I'm saying to many of them, it's okay to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. It's okay to expose that you cannot be all things to all people. Now, that's a rat race. Now, there are so many rabbit holes to that, <clears throat> that many of our leaders and dare I mention this suicidality among many leaders, yes. God help us today, amen, that there are so many that are struggling, uh, just trying to be bigger and better than their peers, uh, to have more, to you know, larger membership, larger church, you know, more money, et cetera, um, that somehow, some way we need to stop the madness and allow our leaders to just relax and be who they are, to be vulnerable, uh, to be able to get help when they need it. Uh, every leader, yes, should have some mental and emotional health support that is coming their way. Uh, because again, it's just helpful uh, to have that uh, as an asset uh, to, all of, uh, to your toolbox and all of the things you need to be successful as a leader. You know, it seems like from what my perspective, from what I see, is that most other denominations have recognized that for a while, but it seems like mainly the Pentecostal um, churches um, have been the ones that maybe have been a little slower to, um, you know, adopt the uh, the fact of or the need for right. mental health you know, checkups. I mean, we go to the doctor for everything else. I'm like, if you go for an earache, if you go for your heart, if Absolutely. you go for your kidney, why can't we have a mental health, <laughs> you know, checkup once or twice a year, you know, because sometimes I know when you go to your primary care, my primary care doctor will say, well, how are you doing? How are things? Are you feeling, you know, do you feel yourself sure. ever getting depressed? They ask, and I'm like, that's nice because uh, that they even ask about it now, because that was something they never really <laughs> 
talked about, but that's becoming more and more, you know, obvious. If you don't bring it up to them, they would not necessarily bring that up to you. They just say, how are you feeling in your body? Not necessarily your mind, you know, but, um, and they would, you know, refer you um, to someone. And just from that point alone, it would seem like, you know, an open door to say, it's okay (laughs) to go. It doesn't mean that necessarily you have a serious problem, but you're trying to catch your thoughts, you know, before it gets out of hand, so to speak. Yes, it would seem, but it doesn't always crank out to be that way. That's why I applaud uh, Bishop Brooks, uh, who came uh, into office four years ago. This is election year, and he's decided to run again. Uh, But again, four years ago, he approached me with this idea of developing a team of therapists, of psychologists and uh, medical doctors and so on. to begin to develop a uh, variety of presentations all on a mental health basis for our constituents all across the country, for our leaders and so on. And so we have been blessed to be able to do that over the last four years. And it has just been a phenomenal asset. We hear the hue and cry from the pew, from people all across the country, not only how they appreciate it, but how great the need is while, again, many leaders will poo-poo this whole notion, we don't really need that, we have the Holy Spirit. I'm here to say and to stand you know, absolutely flat-footed about it, we need access to mental health services. And the Pentecostal Assemblies of the world is now on record as providing that resource and that service to its constituents. Going forward, I trust that we'll be able to develop um, the whole notion and concept so that it's a permanent part, not just under one diocesan prelates uh, 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 administration, but something that will be a part of our organization going forward. Yeah, because, it, you know, and, and, and you're so right. Um, thank God for leadership in our um, diocese, our actual uh head leader, Bishop Theodore Brooks, you know, putting that together because I was amazed at all of the professionals that we had in the organization that were able to address, um, you know, the COVID when people were in fear of vaccines, you know, uh, how they guided us through as far as making choices, you know, when to make the choice, how to make the choice and the mental and emotional. It was just phenomenal to be able to turn into that aspect. And it didn't take anything away from prayer. As I said, none oh, of it, it, it only added to it. You know, I figured that if our God is omniscient and all knowing, I think, you know, he put signs together. We ought to kind of understand uh, how that operates in us, you know, and influences us spiritually as well. And, and that was really, it, I just can't say enough how invaluable all of that has been. And, uh, and was and so yeah, I applaud um, his his wonderful leadership too. And I'm glad he's running again. <laughs> um, but um, you know, back to where I said because reading in your um, particular bio, when we talk about trauma, would you tell viewers uh, what trauma can actually be or what trauma is? Realize because sometimes we experience trauma and we don't know that we've actually been traumatized by some things. We just so used to burying it and saying, let it go or, you know, handle it, you know, or, you know, man up or, you know, be tough. And we don't realize we're still carrying all that trauma on top of other traumas. Yes, thank you uh, for the opportunity to kind of address the issue of trauma. 
because um, clearly there are, there are major events, major traumatic events that can be anything from a hurricane or a tornado that kind of comes to your community or for that matter, violence on the street, mm. living in neighborhoods and communities where the violence is excessive and uh, it permeates you know, almost every uh, aspect of our lives just on the street. The, 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 the media and the way it represents these traumatic experiences uh, that we have in our community can be traumatic to us, just listening to it. The shootings in schools and so on, traumatic, traumatized to the degree that not long after Uvalde, just you know, a couple of months ago now in Texas, uh, I had one parent uh, ask me, is it safe for me to put my five-year-old into public school in the fall. Now, again, um, uh, while Uvalde is maybe not anymore an exception, you know, school shootings used to be an exception, right? Mm -hmm. Sandy Hook was, what, any number of years ago, maybe yes. 10 years ago. Um, and nothing major maybe, well, a lot of things have happened since then, but but the, the way in which we are traumatized by just hearing about these incidents strikes fear in our heart. So trauma can be anything from major to even minor things like the uh, doctor telling us that you have cancer. That can be traumatic uh, to experience because again, it raises all of our fears and doubts about our future, about what's going to happen to us, about you know any number of things uh, that, that we experience again. So trauma is about anything that's ups, that upsets our e equilibrium, that creates this um, fight or flight physiological response in us where our senses have been uh, put on alert, uh, where our eyes dilate and our palms get sweaty and our stomach muscles churn and uh, you know, our uh, limbs um, have been energized uh, you know, to, to either fight or flee. So the goal is to return, restore our body, physiologically speaking, to a place of homeostasis, which is the calmness that we had before. So what that looks like, if we're walking you know, at night and it happens to be late and dark, and we are you know, walking past a cyclone fence, and out of the darkness, a uh, big black dog hits the fence, bam, and, and rattles the fence, and we are immediately startled. Mm. Well, that fight or flight uh, system goes into play. It is designed by God to be temporary so that we can manage or handle the particular uh, trauma, uh, traumatic experience that, we just, that we're going through. But the goal is, how do I get back to where I was? How do I get you know, back to homeostasis? Or how do I restore the equilibrium in my system and in my body? <clears throat> and again, that takes sometimes work in order to do that, depending on the particular trauma that we are dealing with. I will tell you, it's in my bio about my Vietnam experience. 50 plus years ago, 
evangelist. I was in denial <clears throat> for 50 years that I'd been traumatized. And I kind of waded my way through life. Yes, I was saved. Yes, I was baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost and pastoring too. <clears throat> but in denial about the impact that it actually had, it, it surfaced in, in terms of uh, interactions with my wife. It, it surfaced in terms of leadership, uh, uh, occasions in my leadership over the years uh, that has fallen short. And uh, I was, uh, I had a, a, a friend who was a Marine in the military. Um, and so he had been encouraging me all the time to report uh, this to the VA, what I was experiencing, because he could see it. He could see it in me. And so I just, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't allow myself to admit that I was traumatized. Finally broke down. And I will tell you, when I went to see a psychiatrist, for the first time, my whole system, like, <sighs> it was able to breathe. Oh my goodness! I tell you, it was, it was uh, an experience I've never had before, and it allowed me to express what I experienced, because I what I experienced wasn't something I was supposed to go through. When I was in Vietnam, excuse me, when I was in. Um, the military drafted, mind you, uh, if I can be brief about the story, but I was drafted along with, mind you, my, I have two, two brothers. One is 11 months older and one is 18 months younger. And over a year's period with six months apart, my older brother went in, drafted. I came in behind him. You, excuse me, I don't lose your thought, but you were in college when you were drafted. Yes. Drafted out. Yes, I was transferring. My other two siblings were not. So they were picked up immediately. I was at one school and was attempting to transfer to the other school, hoping to avoid the draft. Hmm. <clears throat> but I could not manage a next quarter transfer. So I was out one quarter. They picked me up in the draft, right? And I was sent to Fort Sam Houston, Texas as a conscientious objector to war. I was not supposed to be sent to a battleground. So we were graduating uh, on our last week of training. <clears throat> the commanding officer of the fort called us all together, the, the graduates, and said, your orders have been changed. We had orders for Germany. We had orders changed to go directly to, be, to Vietnam because they told us their medical corpsmen had all been killed. We talk about trauma. Then, on top of that, they give, gave us another week's training. And for those who were not trained at, with a weapon because they were COs, conscientious protectors, they told us to carry a stick. Yes, our government told us to carry a stick to simulate a weapon. We graduated that Friday. By Monday, I was landing in Vietnam. Saigon. We were supposed to get two weeks uh, leave before we go to our next station. I got nothing. I had one brother. My older brother was in Germany. I was sent to Vietnam. My younger brother was sent to Korea. So for one year, I was in Vietnam. Uh, and the first assignment we had was with an infantry. They needed medics. 
when they uh, met with us, there were about three of us that were SEALs, and they realized that we were not trained with the weapon. They literally said to us, if we are ever in a foxhole together, I'm going to shoot you first before the enemy, because without a weapon, you are of no value to us. They immediately shifted us, transferred us to the medical battalion. And that's where I spent the rest of my time in Vietnam. But traumatic. <clears throat> and I was in denial about that until finally it broke through. So I know what it means to experience trauma like that and to live with trauma like that. And so I can be empathetic <clears throat> when I'm talking with clients or patients who have, for whatever reason, been traumatized. Again, it can be something small or it can be something huge. Um, not everybody will have a huge experience like, you know, a war uh, dynamic and all of that. But uh, PTSD is, is real. And for those in our communities who are being traumatized every day, just with trying to get from home to grocery store with all of the shootings in our grocery stores or wherever they are, it doesn't really have a place and a time. It just happens. And that's life. <clears throat> and we have to be able to deal with that from a mental health perspective and from a church perspective. Again, I referred to St. Louis. We're going to be doing a presentation on crime, conflict, and COVID. And the church response to crime, conflict, and COVID in our communities. We have been traumatized by all three. And we're going to attempt anyway to give some response as a church and what the church should be doing uh, in regards to all of the things that are going on uh, in our communities. So again, St. Louis offers something, some things for us to tune into. I tell you that that testimony that you just gave about being over into Vietnam. And, you know, I, I realized that um, you were over there for what, about a year, 11 months to a year. And yep. when you, after you were uh, finally um, had completed your military time frame and you came out, you began to prepare for ministry. Correct. And when you say about how you were in denial for so many years, did that help? Did that help uh, because of the, I don't know, maybe taking your mind and all of the uh, pre preparation towards getting into ministry off of um, your stay in, in Vietnam? Because to go from that right to, you know, preparation for ministry, I would have thought like the, you know, the post-traumatic syndrome that that would have like kept you for away from that, like that would have, you know, some people freeze, some people can't get beyond that for a while, but you were able to thank God, even with all those experiences to be able to go from there into uh, a preparation process for ministry, as well as going on to complete your education as well. Sure. <clears throat> a lot of that was about um, looking for distractions. Mm -hmm needing to distract myself from the mental uh, trauma that I experienced, and it was successful. And, and I will t uh, tell you, uh, and, and maybe should have said up front, nothing but the goodness of God that not only got me through it from a, a physical standpoint, that is no hurt or harm uh, physically, uh, but as well protecting me psychologically, emotionally, and so on, because 
it is enough to see the dead, mm. as I said, with a medical battalion, but see the dead coming through our system and so on. Um, just the goodness of God. Uh, my father, when I got back home, said he watched me for over a year to see whether or not there were any nuances about my behavior that had changed significantly enough to warrant some help. So I had eyes on me, right, watching and so on. Uh, not long after, of course, we uh, married as well. Uh, so my wife was there. She maybe got the brunt of, you know, my kind of reactions that were unrecognized and that I didn't want to admit to, but she caught the brunt of that. And thank God we were blessed to be able to come through all of that uh, as well, uh, move into not only ministry, but training and, and so on, education, uh, but as distractions and so on. And again, it has all benefited me since uh, way back when. Again, we're talking 50 plus years ago. That is amazing. And I tell you, uh, that's why I said having you on the well is like having a panel of six because of all of your experiential, you know, knowledge as well as your academic, you know, uh, knowledge mm -hmm. that you share is, is like having numerous people here because anybody can relate to you. You know, you can relate to most persons, um, right. Trump, whether they've been through trauma or not, whatever they're going through. And as a pastor, as a shepherd, that must be so invaluable because it opens up your understanding, you know, uh, to people, your flock and helps you to understand uh, the sheepfold a lot better. And I'm sure they would appreciate that. What would you say to um, uh, some pastors? Uh, and I'm going to I'm going to ask you this question and I have you answer it when we come back, because I want to take a break just to share a little bit of how you navigate as a pastor, you know, and as a professional uh, with the viewers in a, in a clip presentation that we have. But, um, um, you know, I would, I would ask you uh, what you would think that words that you could say to other pastors um, of how they might be able to even better serve, you know, uh, their congregations even okay. if they don't have the skills or the, you know, or the wherewithal, how they can find, you know, proper people to actually, you know, uh, refer, have a referral for um, uh, their congregations or their congregants. And uh, at this time, we're going to just take a break. Don't go away. We're just going to uh, let you see a clip about how Bishop Harrison has navigated and continues to navigate not only as a pastor, um, but as a husband and as a father and through ministry and as a professional. And we'll be right back.
All of us are marching toward our destiny. But to understand destiny is not a matter of chance. It isn't happenstance, but it's a matter of choice. It is not a thing to be waited for, but something that is to be achieved. The place where you belong, a manifestation of potential. So each one of us has a particular attitude about destiny, some of whom don't even understand the purpose that God has for them, even being saved, even being planted here, even being involved in the PNDC. But you have something that you have uh, been purposed by God to bring to the table to a Destiny is being fulfilled even by virtue of your presence here this afternoon. You're going to hear something said to you this afternoon that's going to inspire you to make a decision, inspire you to go down a particular pathway, and therefore fulfill your destiny. Those who are not here will not have that same privilege or opportunity. That's why I went back to school, because I wanted to be exposed to information as a lifelong learner i wanted to add to my repertoire of knowledge if that isn't part of your understanding of who you are you're missing something right you've got to uh, appreciate the fact that every life experience adds to who you are as a person you don't decide your future you decide what you believe and what you believe drives your behavior and your behavior creates your future. Brothers and sisters, that is profound when you think about it. As we set out today in our respective places, right? Our future is being driven and decided by the things that we believe and the things that we decide. Every decision has a consequence. Well, I know you viewers were blessed by what you saw, and we are going to put up all of Bishop Harrison's information. So if you want to reach out to him, um, you know, professionally, you can. If you want to reach out to him as a pastor, you will have all of that information. And we're so grateful for his being here today. But Bishop, I want to turn uh, it over to you to kind of uh, speak or address the pastors as some of the things maybe um, that they can do to uh, reach out. Uh, to their members to help them, as you said, because I'm sure they see some of them hurting and probably know that maybe they're not being helped as much as they would like to be helped, but they can work together. There's some type of way maybe they could form a relationship with someone that they can refer uh, people to. Mm -hmm. Thank you again, uh, evangelists. And, and so as it relates to, to uh, pastors and, and leaders, Number one is to be healthy themselves, is to access the help that they need so that they themselves can be healthy. It takes a healthy individual, a man or a woman, in order to best serve their congregation. So it begins with, um, and I have a number of 
presentations that really speak to how leaders can empower themselves to becoming healthier. Again, emotionally healthy spirituality uh, is really the key uh, to unlocking many of our concerns and issues. So, so every leader, every pastor, uh, again, across the board, regardless of title, really needs to become healthy themselves. And I will tell you that given the plethora of uh, family of origin experiences that gives rise to the person that we are when we become adults, that there are many things that have happened in our past family of origin that uh, gives rise to a shadow or dark side of every adult uh, human being. And the leader has to be especially sensitive to those dark sides of their personality to expose them, to bring them into the light of day so that they can really get some help around that. For lack of that, uh, many of them are vulnerable to failure, uh, to succumbing <clears throat> to their um, insecurities, their weaknesses, whatever that may be, their vulnerabilities to whatever temptations there are, and God knows that there are many. Um, a leader is oftentimes a target and the enemy wants to attack them and destroy them in their role and in their leadership capacity. So every leader must take the position that I really must be healthy myself, particularly because the only way that I can be healthy uh, to help other people is to be healthy myself. If you've ever flown, the analogy is clear. The stewardess will, or steward will come on the PA system, talk about, you know, if, if need be, oxygen mask will come down. And what do they tell you? Put yours on first. You can have your child sitting next to you, but put yours on first, or you will not be able to help your child. So the analogy holds true that if we're going to help others, we must first be healthy ourselves and have access to help. And it's okay. You are not all things to all people. You have a lane. You have an experience or a background and training. Stay in your lane, right? And get help with things that do not necessarily uh, speak to your past or your background. One of the things that they teach us in coming through our doctoral program, again, you're going to graduate with a degree in psychology with an emphasis stay in your emphasis, right? You, there's a broad you know, uh, platform where many you know, um, experiences and so on with psychology, but stay in your lane, right? If you wanna venture out, get some support, turn to your colleagues, right? And ask them questions, ask them what you're thinking, ask them what you're processing, ask them how you're relating and dealing with your uh, patients and so on. Because without that support from your peers, you can really go astray. You can go off on a tangent all your own. So with our leaders in the church, pastors and so on, yes, stay in the lane, but also access help so that they can be helpful to somebody else. And then to be able to make their people aware, their congregation aware of mental health issues, broadly speaking, that being saved, being baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit ain't all of it, right? 
we need to not just recognize, but respect our family of origin experiences, because again, not all of us come from a healthy home environment. Mm -hmm. So we have those kind of built-in issues and congregations struggle with those. Individuals in congregations struggle at that level. And while they're attending Bible class and while they're in saints meeting and all of that, while they're in worship services and so on, you can see the cry because how oftentimes they just flock to the altar where the preacher has been dynamic in his presentation. He's you know tapped into their heart, into their soul in some cases, and they just love crying and calling out to God, all of which is really helpful and sometimes needful, right? But that pain, when they get up from the altar, uh, when they get up from having hands laid on them, when they you know, go away from being told, you know, uh, there's a book in you or there's this in you or there's that in you, is not going to happen until they are able to grow out of their pain, mm. out of their challenges and so on. So the healthy leader will respect the need for healthiness in the congregation. We teach all the time about those who are suffering in silence in the pew and going unrecognized, unacknowledged by leaders who, for whatever reason, fear or otherwise insecurities, uh, low self-esteem on their part, whatever that may be, right, that by and large, they are not giving uh, their absolute best to their congregation. So leaders, hear me well. We need to be healthy ourselves, but we also need to be healthy enough so that we can expose our congregations to the kind of health. So that means that we have therapists that we can refer to, that we are knowledgeable of, that we are able to trust, and that in whatever you know case, uh, either Christian or even hopefully baptized in Jesus' name mm -hmm. and filled with the Holy Spirit, right? You you reference Dr. Key. Uh, he's you know, one of my team members, right? Yeah. Uh, and so... Um, while he is you know, doing well with what he's doing, he's not a pastor, he's not a preacher, he's not at that you know, kind of leadership you know, level like that. I think he is trying to preach a little bit, whatever that may be about. But again, we're talking about those who are uh, in the role as pastor and whatever title thereafter that they may have but getting the kind of support to them so that they can be a blessing to the congregations. And that means inviting uh, uh, qualified people in. That means having the kinds of programs that exposes our congregations to mental health issues, to know that people are not crazy, right? No, whatever that may be. Exactly, yes. Tip, tip, maybe typical uh, thought about you know, people who need mental health uh, no support. Uh, but they're going through something that we really can help them benefit from uh, support. Wow, this has just been so much. I'm like, I'm looking at the time. I'm like, boy, time flies when you're having a great conversation. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I thank you so much for taking time to be on the well. It has just been uh, your time here has been so invaluable, and I can't wait to have you back again. And uh, as I said, viewers, I'm going to put up all of Bishop uh, Harrison's information so that you can reach out should you need uh, to, and even recommend and refer others. So um, we pray that you have been blessed. I know you have. If you 
have been given and put in the presence of information and encouragement. And if you receive it, it can only bless you. So I pray that you'll be back next week, (laughs) same time, same place at the well. And I'm going to ask Bishop Harrison, if you would just close us out with a prayer, Bishop. Thank you. Absolutely. God, our Father, we're so grateful and thankful today for your blessing. And thank you, Lord, for Evangelist Beverly Allen and the ministry that she has. God, we pray Uh, From this day forward, her ministry will just blow up, Lord, because of the tremendous and invaluable service that she's providing to the church and to those in our communities uh, at large. Bless, Lord, everything that's been said and shared today. Lord, let your anointing go with it, Lord, that it might permeate uh, into every individual that will hear and that will receive and be open, God, to issues of emotional, healthy spirituality, and how we can become better uh, saints, better uh, individuals in our communities, and so on. God, that we be blessed. In Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit, have your way, Lord, in this presentation today. And God, we thank you for that. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, thank you so much again. And Viewers will be looking for you next week, same time, same place around the well, where you'll hear something that will inspire you, encourage you, inform you, and lift you up and help you to live and walk in the most holy faith. So until then, we'll say God bless you, stay well, and stay safe. Bye.